Hello. Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I'm Chip Chantry. Ken, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. It, I'm going to be honest with you. For the listeners at home, it looks like you're drinking a bottle of vinegar right now, like just straight vinegar. It's, Is that what? I, it's a 40 ounce of water. And it okay. does it it does look like vinegar. I agree. Okay. This is uh this is the complimentary water they give out here at a shared universe. Wow. I gotta start so showing up in person. Can't can't yeah. shit on it too much because it's free. No. No. Not at all. Uh but let's uh let's let's jump jump right in, Ken. Yes. Uh our guest today, uh from the drum from the drum channel and uh host of Billy's Bubble, uh podcast on the drum channel. Uh, please welcome back Billy Amendola. Hey everyone, how are you? Hey Billy, thanks, for, uh, thanks say, for joining us. I was going to say, oh, maybe I should get my tequila. <laughs> <laughs> I've not, I've not tried doing uh, the podcast drunk yet because we usually record during the day. Uh, I did. But, yeah, that, that's a good thing. I did try doing it really stoned recently. And it was, I was not good. <laughs> well, you know what happens, especially if you're on film, you know, you zone out, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like you could, everybody sees that you're zoning out. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, so, so, so you we're... have a senior moment, you know, which can happen uh, at any moment at any time without any uh, influence of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I zone out half the time anyway, and I'm completely sober. So I'm just, uh, just ADD. That's all that is. Yeah, I think yeah. we're just we're just like the MTV generation. Yes. Yeah. With with no attention span. Yeah. Um, but our uh our topic today, uh uh this guy was just in the news. He he passed away last week. And um it's uh it's it's a tragic story, but there's also a lot of incredible music that, that came out of this guy's life. And we are talking about a legendary session drummer, Jim Gordon. And uh, for those that know that follow the news, um, he also uh, he also spent the last 40 years in prison um, for murdering his mother. And uh, he probably should have been in a mental health facility. Uh, the last 40 years. But we will get into that. What I do want to do is uh, celebrate his music, though, because um, I went on Wikipedia just to get a discography of, of what this dude worked on. They, they should have listed the artists that he didn't play with. That, yeah. that would have been way easier. Wikipedia was like, well, this is just a partial list because we can't even – we can't even give you uh, a f like it would. It's just too much to give you the full list. Okay. Um, by the way, and we'll we'll get into the list, but like I'm still scrolling through it, and I just noticed he played on the Muppet movie. I mean, it, it, there's nothing that he didn't do. That there's <laughs> like, and, and we'll get into it. But it's like you know he's a rock drummer and all that. But like he's played almost every genre. It's it's incredible. This guy's Jim. Go I mean, you can just people at home just go look up his his discography because he's played with everybody. Billy, how how did you first become aware of Jim? When what's the first well, thing that I, for me? Uh, I was very into the uh, studio scene. Uh, who played on what record? So I always looked at credits. And um, at, you know, when I was young, young starting out, I just played along to records, and I never knew that like 
it was only about three or four people whose records I was playing to. I, I, you know, I thought it was 20 different drummers and it was like three of the same drummers on, on every record. So Jim became one of those because he was a protege and uh, Hal Blaine, you know, who at that time we all know Hal was the most recorded drummer. He worked more than anyone. He was on every record. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of records and hits. And he took Jim, you know, and Hal was part of the wrecking crew. And he took Jim under his wing because uh, Jim was younger, of course. And uh, he let him start playing percussion and playing little bits here and there. And if Hal couldn't make a session, he would give it. He knew that Jim would be able to handle it because Jim was an excellent player. So little by little, um, I started seeing Jim Gordon's name more and more and more and more. And then, of course, on All Things Must Pass, the George Harrison album, I think that was the first time that I realized, oh, I see this guy's name all the time. And then I looked up and was blown away by his discography. It was just mind-blowing. I mean, just mind-blowing. And, you know, I used to buy records back then. And Jeff Beccaro, he was one of my, next to Ringo, he was probably one of my biggest influences. And I know Jeff really looked up to Jim Gordon because it was Hal and then it was Jim and Earl Palmer and then everyone else came after that, even even Jim Keltner. And Jim Keltner started, I mean, he was there already. And of course, the two of them were on Joe Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishman. Yeah. So they really spent a lot of time together and they were close and, uh, you know, admired each other. And uh, Jim told me an interesting story not too long ago that when he was playing, um, you know, starting out and playing, you know, he would listen to Jim Gordon a lot and how, but then he realized he, he had to get his own voice. So when he had a conversation, uh, Jim Gordon idolized Keltner and told him, ah, I, I study you. I want to play just like you. I want to be like you. I want to be you. And Jim said to him, you know, really gave him his first lesson which was a life lesson as well as don't copy me and try to play as me, get your own, you know, yeah. take what you take from me, but get your own style. So that was, um, you know, great advice and coming from somebody, you know, having Jim Keltner and Hal Blaine, you know, teach you is just incredible. But going back to Jeff Beccaro, I used to buy records just if Jeff was on a record, I didn't care what it was. And I remember, I, I would look at the credits and, you know, all the guys. And then later on, James Gadsden and, you know, I mean, so many, Steve Gadd, but that, that's as I got older. But the early days, um, you know, I would buy Helen Reddy records and I would have to hide them from my friend <laughs> because they would see like Deep Purple and all those. And, and they go, what, what the hell is this? And I go, don't worry about it. It, it, it. Jeff Beccaro's on it. And I didn't realize till recently that, um, Helen Reddy's biggest song, I Am Woman, Jim Gordon played drums on that. Yeah, he wow. he the the list is insane. He um he played on You're So Vain. Yeah, Carly uh, Sands, You're So Vain. It was a biggie because Andy Newmark was supposed to be on that. There's a good story behind that. Andy was supposed to be on that because of course he was on anticipation and he was touring with Carly. And then for some reason, uh long story short, he got to sit there when they called him jim uh gordon to do it 
and uh, Klaus Vollmann was on base. I mean, that was an incredible track. And my buddy, uh, Mark Berry, was assistant engineer on that record. He went on to become a big producer who I worked with, you know, later on on some dance stuff. But um, that record was was a classic. And uh, Andy always tells the story about how much he learned just sitting there in that session that day and watching, you know, Jim do that record. Yeah. Without knowing, can you, when you were younger or now, can you listen to a record and be like, oh, that's Jim Gordon playing or that's like pick it out without knowing that it, that it's him? Are, are you are I, I is, can. Does now. it have like a fingerprint on it? Yeah. 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 He's one of the guys. Yeah, I, I can now. I couldn't. You know, when I was younger, I couldn't because, you know, I, I, I wasn't digging that that deep you know, into it. I was just wanted to learn the parts and play along. Um, but as I got older and started to, and then especially as I started to, you know, uh, interview people myself and, and, and all my friends from being in the business, you know, I, I, I speak to so many people every day. If, if I told you how many people I speak to in one day, it's, it's, it's incredible that I still have my mind and I could remember. I was, I was, if it's, if it's more than three, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get I, I get about 120, 130 emails a day, every day. Oh, my God. And I get about 20 text messages. And, you know, but it's it's all cool. And, and you know, and sometimes a lot of my friends are famous, but we don't even talk about music. You know, we, we just, you know, we're just we're friends. Yeah. Yeah. But I get to learn all this inside information, you know, just in conversation. Um. So, Chip, to your point, I was reading there, – there's – by the way, there's uh, – if you want to read, it's a very long interview. But Rolling Stone interviewed Jim not long uh, after he was incarcerated. Yeah, I think it was in 85. Yeah, and, and he, he gives you his – his it, it, it goes it – go, it delves into a lot of detail um, uh, on his musical journey. And they said that there was a, a Jim Gordon sound and, and that um, they thought – and Billy, I'm sure you can speak to this. But they thought that a big part of it was that when you hired Jim Gordon, you got his drum kit and that he kept it in pristine shape and he was always adding to it and, and knew what the latest thing coming out was and that a lot of times studios will just have – instruments laying around so a lot of times if you just got a session drummer that maybe wasn't as established you're just getting the studio's beater kit and that when you got jim gordon you got this state-of-the-art drum kit that's an excellent that's an excellent point and also hal always had his own drum kit mm -hmm. uh, and 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 some of these guys who work so much that they had duplicate kits of the same exact kit with the same sound because that is a big part of a person's sound. Of course, the parts that they come up with, but the sound is whatever is the general public. That's what they're hearing. So subconsciously, you're, you're, you know, you're hearing those guys on those kits. And of course, back then, a lot of guys use uh, Ludwig. You know, Ludwig was was very, very popular in, in, in all of that early 60s and 70s uh, rock in that, you know, in that genre. But uh Earl Palmer, uh, Hal, Jim Gordon, Jim Keltner, and Jeff Beccaro always had the same setup. So that's that's an excellent uh, kudos to Rolling Stone for uh, I don't remember that for noticing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a, like I said, it's a really long article and interview, but I, I thought it was, it was absolutely fascinating. And, and they, you do- know, funny, sorry to cu- Go ahead. cut you off. I- I'll forget. Uh, I was supposed to interview Jim while he was incarcerated because uh, I was going to go with Hal, but he was so adamant. Uh, he did not want to see anyone at one point. He just, and he really broke Hal's heart because he promised Hal numerous times that he was going to set it up. Hal set everything up. He spoke to the jail. One time he even drove there. And at the last minute, Jim wouldn't see him. So, you know, that that really, I know Hal, that really broke his heart because Hal was like, Hal didn't condone at all what he did, but he knew that he had some problems, you know, that Jim had some mental problems. and. He really wanted to see him and he never got a chance to. So that that was and then there was some talk that I was going to go. He was going to ask Jim and have me go. And at the time I was at Modern Drummer, they were like, well, we're not putting him on the cover. No way. And I was like, are you insane? This would be this is, a yeah. you know, because <laughs> yeah, nobody was talking to him. We probably would have got him before Rolling Stone, you know, but they, they were discouraged. And even up until about five years ago. I wanted to put him on the cover and some of us did me and Adam Budowski um, and they, everybody was afraid because, you know, they were going to say, you know, we're publicizing a mass murderer and blah, blah, blah. So, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I do sort of get that. It's like the, um, it's almost like the John Hinckley Jr. dilemma that that mm-hmm. people are having now because now he's trying to become a musician and uh, people think that it's um, just a publicity stunt. I think the difference uh, in, with the two cases is Jim Gordon was already a, a well-established, very famous drummer um, who, who clearly – uh, had the goods. I, I think the last time Rolling Stone put out their list of like the hundred greatest drummers, and I know these lists are all subjective, and but I think I think he was he's like in the fifties, you know, like they're they're still recognizing the work this guy did. Absolutely, he was a you know that's why I don't want to get too good, you know, because <laughs> you know they say geniuses you know go crazy. And, uh, you know, it seems to be kind of true in a way, but, uh, well, some people would say I am crazy, but that's a different story. But, um, you know, Jim, he, as far as playing the drums, he, you know, he just, he had it, you know, what, whatever that magic was. And then from, like I said, learning from Hal and Jim Keltner and playing with both those guys, Mad Dogs and Englishmen with, with Keltner, I mean, and being with those guys and then the musicians and the level of musicianship that he played with only made him better and better. So he knew how to make a record. And that's in those days, that was the key. Like you said, the sound, you know, he knew how to make a record. So when people hired him, you know, he would fly one time he was flying back and forth because he was playing a residency in, in Vegas and he was flying to California almost every day back and forth because he didn't, you know, he had so many sessions. Yeah, they he 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 became the most or one of the most in demand session drummers, and um, I read some I read something interesting that 
famous rock bands at the time had to get you like their drummer had to just accept the fact that when the band went into the studio, uh, they were using Jim Gordon. Yeah. And well, a, lot, that was, lot, yeah. a lot of times it was uncredited, but right. um, a lot of very famous, capable drummers uh, had to, you know, take a seat in the studio and, and, and watch this guy do their parts. Well, you know, it's a business, you know, they're making records, you know, and I, 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 I thought about this last night when I was thinking about, you know, talking to you today, you know, he worked with Phil Spector a lot, you know, and mm-hmm. Phil, as we all know, <laughs> was not all there. So, you know, it, it's kind of and, and Phil was a genius. So it, it's ironic that, you know, they work together and a lot of people like I never met Jim. Um, unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately, but I never met Jim, uh, but I, you know, I knew so many people that were close to him and knew him that I felt like I kind of, you know, his name always came up and, you know, I, I kind of felt like I knew somewhat about him. Um, of course it's drumming more than anything else, but personally, you know, a lot of his friends, he was the star of his high school. He was big, tall, six foot, you know, good looking guy very athletic, a lot of energy, grew up with, in a very nice part of town in California with a good family. I mean, I heard his mom might have had a little, you know, mental issues. But in those days, you know, even to this day, they still don't really address it the way it should. But in those days, you know, you just thought, well, it's my mom. She's, you know, she's just out there. Yeah. But everybody told me that they saw him change once the drugs came in, you know, which is an, it's a known fact. If you take drugs and you're, you're schizophrenic drugs will really you over the edge. So, you know, Jim just didn't know, I guess, when to stop and maybe didn't have a choice because he had a chemical imbalance and then all these psychedelics and drugs that he's doing and partying nonstop, you know, just took him over the edge. And it's a chicken and egg thing too, because it's like, is this, are these drugs making this worse? And then is he taking the drugs in the first place because of this disorder? You know, so, you know, so it's, it's right. Because he was always saying that he heard, you know, he started to hear voices. Yes. He said, so the, the article details early on in his career, he would hear voices in his head, but he just pushed it to the side because he was so busy with work, uh, he ignored it. The voices were sporadic. Um, According to, you know, the interview, I don't know how reliable a source uh, Jim was, but according to the interview, um, he said the drugs really started as the voices got louder and louder. And it was was a way to drown the voices out. he heard many voices in his head, some he knew, some he didn't know. The loudest voice in his head uh, was, was the voice of his mom. And um, when, when you talk about uh, how it broke Hal's heart uh, that he, you know, that he kept trying to set up this interview only to get shut, shut out at the last second, it probably – broke Jim Gordon's heart 
to have to do it. Like I, I was reading that he would get offered something and he would say, yeah, of like he got offered Bob Dylan asked him to play on an album. And Bob Dylan was one of his heroes. And he immediately said yes. But then the voice inside his head told him, no, this isn't right. You don't belong on Bob Dylan's record. And he <laughs> had to he had to cancel. And um, they they talked about him flying out to Vegas. I, I want to say um, here, here's how good a drummer this dude was. There, He already had a reputation. There was already – some violence towards women. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the female voices, not excusing it, but I think a lot of it had to do with the female voices in his head. He, he was still, uh, the Osmonds booked him. Donnie and Marie Osmond had him booked for a recording session in Vegas. So even, even though he had this not squeaky clean image, he was so good at what he did that, and, and Chip and I see this in comedy, that people are willing to overlook, um, you know, they're over, they're willing to overlook some bad behavior. So he he flies out to Vegas. He agrees to do this job. He sits down in the studio, plays one or two notes, and then the voice tells him to get out of there. And he and he has to hang up. You know, he he puts his drumsticks down and leaves. He he flew out to Vegas and played two or three notes of music. And um, and this is for who? For the Osmonds? For, for the Osmonds. Yeah. And uh, the voices in his head were just they, – they just drowned out everything else and they would fill him with rage. He, he said he – like the Incredible Hulk, he would get filled with rage uh, if he ignored the voices. The only way to keep the voices at bay was to do everything they said. Um. And the voices got weird, like, you know, it, it, it was controlling how much food he can eat. Uh, he would hear his mother's voice telling him, you can only have one meal today or you, you can only eat an apple today. And and he would and if he didn't follow it, it, it just became too much. Yeah, you see, it, and it, it's very tragic because, you know, they didn't have the research they didn't, you know, ment mental health, even to this day, you know, they're, they're still trying to get it. Now it's becoming more prominent and, and people are accepting it. At, at, you know, back then they would say, well, you're crazy. You know, they're going to put you in a nut house, you know, which that's, you know, po politically incorrect these days. But, you know, nobody he didn't you know, he he didn't know what was going on. You know, yeah. uh, it, it just like and then that was. You know, hearing those voices, if he was hearing those voices, you know, the, were the drugs adding to that? I'm sure they were. Yeah. Drugs yeah. make you paranoid. Um, you know, there's so much involved and it just became, you know, he, he, he didn't get the help that he needed. You know, he probably needed to be on heavy medication, but I guess he thought that would, you know, he, he was a powerful drummer. Uh, that was one of the things about him. You know, he played. Uh, he, he was he was a strong drummer. So that's part of his sound. You can hear a little bit more oomph than, say, uh, you know, Jim Keltner. If he, he Jim would go back and forth. But Jim, you know, Jim has a light touch. But if he if he wanted to, he can hit those drums. Hal, Hal just, you know, he, he, he wasn't a heavy, heavy hitter, but he, he he invented so much rock and roll stuff. So he he gave it that little. But Jim really gave it that oomph. So he might have thought that drugs would have, you know, inhibited him to play that that way or change his playing. It, there's just nobody knows, you know, no no one's 
The only one who's going to know is the people that were trying yeah. to take care of him for the last 40 years. Yeah. But going back to what you said before, you know, when he passed, it came as a shock because nobody knew if he was sick or anything. And, you know, he wasn't like in somebody's mind. And then all of a sudden now Jim Corden passed away. So we all felt bad, of course. And we everybody was just saying that they really hoped that he came to terms with what he did and that he was at peace, you know, himself with it. Because, you know, that's not something that you could just, you know, not to make light of it, but that's not something you're going to go, oops, I shouldn't have did that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. You have to un- – and, and just that layer of the – you know, his state at the time, it's not like he just got angry and did it or, or you know, planned this out. It was he heard voices in his head and it, his I believe his mother's voice told him to do this. He committed this crime and goes to jail. And then, you know, you talk about, you know, him seeking help, not being able to seek help. He didn't even really get the help that he needed once once he was incarcerated. Like it, it went, and once he went to trial, like he wasn't allowed to claim even though I guess every and I don't know the exact details, but even though basically everybody agreed that, you know, it was, uh, you know, whether it was uh, acute schizophrenia or like, you know, temporary insanity, whatever you want to call that, he wasn't allowed to be tried that way. Or he wasn't allowed to plead that way. So he for because of some some rule, some there, law there was, in California, there was a law that, in California where it made it very hard or impossible to plead guilty by insanity. Even though he clearly and he's once he's arrested, he you know, the the police come, he immediately confesses once he's arrested, he's properly diagnosed. Yeah. Um, But because of that California law, he's not sent to a mental health facility. Yeah. Well, you know, and also it's the times like we were saying, you know, mental health was not, you know, and then people were using that, you know, they use it to this day to get out of uh, out of going to jail. You know, I was I'm crazy, you know, put me in, you know, put me in a psychiatric ward. Um, So it it, it was just it was just it was just tragic. I mean, there was no offensive buts. But let's 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 go back to the music. Yeah. 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 Let's go back to the music because we know we know that story. It's it's really never going to be solved. And uh Thank God these days people are, you know, and music, you see music. If that article is right, music healed him in a way, you know, that's the only thing or he could have went off sooner. Yeah. You know, if he, yeah. you, know, you know, if music wasn't as important to him, who knows what would have happened. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the music because. Yeah. I want to say uh, a lot of people don't know one of my favorite songs, if I could tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Is uh, Grazing in the Grass by Friends of D- Distinction. Now, a lot of people didn't know that he played on that. And even Jim Horn is on sax, uh, some, some of the, uh, the wrecking crews on that. But that was a, a top 10 record on both the pop, as you said before, different genres and R&B charts. And if you listen to that track, I mean, that beautiful drum breakdown in, in the middle and uh, kudos to King Arison, whoever that is on, on percussion. I mean, that song, you would not. Now, I didn't find out that Jim played on that. Because somebody had said he did, and then it was very hard to find out. You know, nowadays everything's all over the internet, and it's hard to tell what's true, what's not true. But then finally, after so much research, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, I, I, I found out that he played on that. In the early days, I didn't know. I didn't even think about it. I just thought Friends of Distinction was a band, had, you know, one hit wonder, and uh, 
with a remake because you Masakala wrote wrote that the music. Um, so that song, people should check out that song because that song is those are some pretty great drums on that track. Yes, and um, what's one of your favorite Jim Jim Gordon uh, tracks? I mean, first of all, I th- I think we we need to uh, point out that he played on Apache, which is like one of the most sampled. I mean, you, I mean, you might, I mean, if you, if you don't know exactly what that song is, you just hear the the beginning four seconds of that song and you've heard that on dozens and dozens of, of hip hop albums and, and, you know, different tracks. I mean, it's one of the most sampled drum beats in, in history. Absolutely. Uh, that was, uh, the, the, uh, incredible bongo band Yep. Mm-hmm. in 1972. And just, and it's just, it's, it's so, uh, Head of know, its time. Monumental. Yeah. And I, I thought something was just so interesting. One of my favorite songs of all time, which is kind of obvious, but uh, God only knows, you know, he played some of the songs on Pet Sounds. He apparently played Dennis or uh, Brian Wilson had had him play the orange juice bottles, <laughs> like percussion. He played orange juice bottles on God only knows on that track. He played percussion using those yep, uh, yep. juice bottles. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, that goes back to how bringing him in little by little into the Wrecking Crew. Uh, he started playing percussion and little percussion back then, even now to this day. You know, the percussion, of course, you know, the companies make great, uh, you know, uh, LP, Toka. They make great percussion instruments, but you can turn anything into a percussion instrument in the studio. Yeah. So, uh, th- you know, that's another thing about ahead of, ahead of his time. But Harry Nielsen's Jump Into the Fire. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that. We talk about the power and the drums driving a song, you know. Um, and then all the Beatles. I mean, he, of course, George Harrison. And he played in, uh, to give somebody that, that doesn't know, the younger generation maybe. Uh, but, you know, he was with George Harrison and Eric Clapton and Delaney and Bonnie, yep. and they had toured. And then that became Derek and the Dominoes, which became the house band on All Things Must Pass, more or less. You know, Bobby Whitlock and Carl Rattle, Eric and, and Jim. And then Derek and the Dominoes had unbelievable success. That, and that, of course, that We've talked about that Derek and the Dominoes album. They only did the one album. That's one of the greatest rock albums ever released. Oh, my God. And, of course, the story about Layla. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim, Jim always got the credit for the, for playing the piano on that end part and, and writing that. Now, there's still to this day a lot of skepticism over that. There's some uh, controversy over who really. Wrote yeah, it. because, you know, it, it's hard unless you get Rita Coolidge, you know, uh, who was dating uh, Jim, Jim back the in time. the day. Um, you know, she really they were living together and. You know, she really, I believe, wrote most of that. Um, I'm sure maybe it was at least a collaboration, Mm -hmm. you know, and what you said before about Jim not having a good reputation, you know, they broke up because he hit her, you know. Um, So I don't know if it was revenge. He wind up taking taking it and using it and not giving her credit, you know, until years, years later, you know, it started to come out. But regardless it's a, it's an amazing part. It worked. And that's the thing about, you know, being in a band, not to jump off the subject of Jim, but being in a band, that's why record companies these days won't sign a band unless they all split everything evenly, because then they know 
that the band's not going to last. The lead singer or the main songwriter is going to quit after a while. So they're not putting, you know, effort into it. And, and, you know, in those days, you know, it, it wouldn't have mattered, you know, if everybody was splitting evenly and, you know, be, it hurts not to get the credit, but not even get paid. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's the big thing. But anyway, so that was the George connection. And then he also played on, uh, he played on two other George Harrison albums, uh, uh the song, give me love, give me life or give me peace on earth. Uh, and, uh, you know, he played it steely Dan. I mean, it, it, Ricky, it was don't, just, Ricky, don't lose that number was him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was him. And then power to the people, John and Yoko. Yep. And he played on Yoko's uh, album fly. I mean, and Ringo even played on Stop and Smell the Roses, you know. So the only one he didn't play with was uh, McCartney, who, you know, well, Paul plays the drums. So, you know, he had Denny Sywell, of yeah. course. He had some great drummers uh, he, t- this, these days. I mean, he got he went through so many drum, drummers, Steve Holly. I, I couldn't even think of a Chris Whitten. I mean, there's so many. Uh, so it's a little kind of shows it's a little bit difficult maybe to work with, with Paul. So maybe it's a good thing that uh, <laughs> make light of it, that, that Jim didn't work with Paul. <laughs> uh, Paul. Paul's never asked me to work with him. I can, I can say that. So, Oh yeah. man, yeah. you know, I, 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 not that I'm bitter, but yeah, I'd like to produce Paul, you know, and try to get him uh have another hit, but what do I know? Sure. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Back to Jim Gordon. I mean, it, everybody loved him. I mean, you know, as far as his drumming, everybody wanted him. You know, they would hold up sessions to get him on a record. And, you know, it, it, it's just his it's just incredible. It, I mean, to get to play on one song that he played on is a big thing. But yeah. to play on so, so many with so many people, it's just incredible. You, you it, know, it's, it's you know, it's crazy as it's occurring. It's occurring to me now just as we're speaking about it. So so this guy is legendary drummer and the piano coda in Layla might be the most famous, iconic piece of music that uh, that he did. Or didn't or did. Yeah. Well, he, 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 did he, he got the credit though. He did, did he play it or did, did he, he record that? Did he play that on the album? Do you know? Uh, there's skepticism about that as well. I, okay. I forget. Uh, I've had a conversation with Bobby Whitlock about this, but I don't, you know, I don't like to repeat certain things. Yeah. Sure. Well, Bob, so, Bobby, Bob, Bobby Whitlock's on record as, as saying that he thought it was uh, Rita Coolidge's. So you you don't yeah. you don't have to repeat anything he said, but this is yeah no a lot of a lot of people no a lot of people but whether he actually played, oh, played that it, piano yeah is also in question as mm-hmm. well. I mean Eric would know, but Eric in Eric Clapton's book, he actually says that Jim Gordon was the best drummer that he's ever worked mm-hmm. with. And let's face it now, That's Eric Clapton is Eric Clapton, and he's worked with every drummer. Ginger Baker. He, Every drama, yeah. just about. So for him to say that quote, you know, in, in his book, um, which was years, you know, maybe 10 years ago that his book, 15 years ago, came out. But, but way after everything had happened and, they, and he hadn't seen him or spoken to him, um, you know, he felt that that was the best drama he ever played with. And just like the, the musicianship of some of the, you know, he played he played on apostrophe with Zappa. You yeah, know, play with traffic. I mean, he did. Right. Uh, right. I don't know if we mentioned this, but he did classical gas, Mason Williams. I know, I know, I mean, which is unreal. 
I know. And it never rains in Southern California. I mean, you know, everybody thinks how's on that. Because, uh, you know, back in the in the day and even to this day, there's a lot of ghost drumming goes on. Like mm-hmm. he was saying, you know, replacing. But that still goes on to this day. You got to sign a confidentiality, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I've had it done to me. I've done it. You know, but what happens is a lot of the same producers and songwriters, they were all working together at the time, you know, in different studios. They cut tracks with different people. They might have cut the same track. I mean, let's face it. Steely Dan was notorious for that. Yeah. I, I used to hear rumors that they used a snare drum from one drummer, a hi-hat and bass drum from another, and then combined it all. I mean, Jeez. ridiculous things, uh, but great, great records. And that was the thing. You were making a record. Yeah. You know, so that, that was your job. And, and as I said before, he knew how to make a record. I mean, he really, he really knew how to go in and make a record. Is it rare or, or do you think it's pretty common just looking at his discography here? Like he's, you know, Steely Dan, Clapton, you know, all the Beatles, everybody. But then he's playing with Merle Haggard and yeah, a couple yeah. a couple other like I think Hoyt Axton, like country acts. Like, is that a completely different skill set? Or I mean, just to be like, oh, I'm going to play on a country album now or or is it fairly transferable? Do you think? Uh, well, when you're doing studio work, you don't become a studio drummer unless you can play different genres pretty well mm-hmm. uh, because you never know who's going to call you for a session. So, um, you know, the, those people, Merle, Merle Haggard and, and, and Hoyt and everybody who was looking, you know, they knew Jim's sound. So obviously for that particular song, that's what they wanted and that's the feel that they wanted. It's not, you know, if you're playing on a heavy duty country song, then you got to know how to play country music, you know, train beat and, you know, some shuffles and, you know, that kind of thing. But when you're doing session work, you got to be ready and prepared for anything. You know, in those days, sometimes you had to read. Uh, a lot of those guys didn't read. And he played on, you know, Seals and Croft, Summer Breeze, Diamond wow. Girl. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. It's like That's ridiculous. It's, incredible. Oh, he... it's just incredible. I wish I, I know he played on the first. I think it was the first Bread album. And I love yes. Bread. Yeah, he did. He played on Bread. He yeah. Did. Yeah. And and I wonder if he ghost drums, not to take away from the uh, it's slipping my mind now who the original drummer in Bread was. I mean, David Gates wrote the songs. It was his band. But that band always sounded like it was studio musicians. So um, I'm not sure 100 percent if it was. Um, but I mean, Bread was one of my favorite bands to this day. I mean, it, it, as a songwriter, David Gates, those were amazing songs. And you were saying earlier, obviously, about how, like, if you were a, a touring drummer that you might just expect that, hey, we're going to bring in somebody like yeah. Jim Gordon to play on the actual album. Is that is that very common just for drummers or is that for any you know, bass players, guitar oh, yeah. players? And any session musician. Yeah. A- any session musician. You, you, you don't become a session musician unless you're really versatile and can play many different genres and make it seem like that's your main genre. Right. That that's that that's what separates, you know, the A guys from the B and C guys. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um he also he played on um Tom Waits Hardest Saturday night. Like oh, like man. there's just it's just one classic after another with this dude. And um as his career started uh, to take a dip, 
you know, because of um, everything that was going on in his life, he started uh, he started scoring television and movies. Um, he he was doing he was doing TV and movies work. Yeah, uh, that was the scene. That was the scene in California. They that, that's where everybody wanted to go to do that kind of work. That's where the work was. So who even knows? And there's no list of like what shows or movies he played on outside of uh, the Muppets. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, the career he would have had, I mean, he, he, he would have been one of the, you know, he is one of the most reported dramas of all time, but he would have really, I mean, he had some, that, that's what made it so tragic and, and sad for all his friends and, his, you know, people who really did care for him. Um, you know, he had such a bright, bright future. And that's what, you know, of course, you know, what he did was was wrong and tragic. Mm -hmm. uh, but he had such a bright future. Yeah. Uh, the two albums I was thinking of uh, with George Harrison was uh, Living in the Material yes. World, yeah. Extra Texture. You know, Andy Newmark is on that, Keltner and uh, and Jim. And uh, that's a that's a great, you know, th those are great records. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um I'm just, it's it's just so funny to to scroll through this list of, I, I mean, and then he's playing Mad Dogs and Englishmen with with Joe Cocker and and that know, tour Lee, was Leon what, Russell. What, did they have like two or three drummers on that tour? Um, I, I think yeah, at one point, but the main that live album that was the famous live album that that was recorded, I believe, in seventy two at the, the Fillmore, Fillmore yeah. East, yeah, uh, that was him and uh, Jim Keltner. That that was the core of that. And then, of course, Leon Russell was in there. And there, there you go. The connection back to the Wrecking Crew because Leon was in the Wrecking Crew. And, you know, it, it all kind of comes together. You know, that's how your resume, you know, when you is, is when you're playing live with somebody and you go on tour. Famous people are fans of, of the artist. They sit there and they watch the drummer who's playing on that. And they go, wow, if I ever need a drummer. Uh, there's your audition, you know, same mm -hmm. thing with making records, you know, one, two, three, all the producers know who the top drummers are and that's who they want on, on, on their records. He, this, uh, Jim Gordon could have just used Goodfellas as his resume. Like they've got, cause that the, the, the great, you know, the, the great scene at the end where Ray Liotta's all coked out and paranoid um, it goes from it jumps from into the fire with right. that great drum part. And then a few yeah. minutes later, it goes into the piano coda of Layla. I know I would, that would have been my resume. It's pretty yeah. incredible. And, you know, some of my favorite songs of all time, like Bell Bottom Blues. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was listening. I listened to that like five times in a row this morning. Getting oh, ready for my it. God. I yeah. mean, that feel that song. Oh. And that's that's my love, favorite thing, Clap. That's my favorite that song, Clapton ever did. Me too. Yeah, Bell Bottom Blues. Yep. And wildly yeah. underplayed too, for whatever reason. I don't. I never hear it on classic rock radio. I feel like it doesn't get the do that. It, it I don't know. But don't get me started on radio because <laughs> you know. Thank God for Sirius. I mean, I still do listen to the radio because my, a lot of my friends are DJs, but uh, only for that reason. But you know, I'm tired of hearing the same. 25 songs every single day uh, over yep. and over and over. I mean, I, don't, I just don't get it, but you know, that that's why I, 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 I like doing my own radio thing yep. because, you know, 
it, it get to play and tell stories. But, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know why they don't play that like that. I mean, you know, anytime that's another great one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and like I said, why does love got to be so sad? Uh, I, oh I, I honestly, we, we did, we did a full episode on Clapton and, you know, Clapton is, uh, I get, he's a polarizing figure now and, uh, controversial, but he's, and, and we always talk about separating the art from the artist. Like he's, that music to me is still so good that oh, yeah. that I can. All right, you know. So he's he's and may, still maybe he lost the plot in his later years, but that album's still a fucking perfect rock album, and you can't no, take it, that and, away and from still them. relevant. I mean, still relevant. You know, you know, he's everybody can't stay at the top forever, except the Beatles. Right. You know, yeah. but and then you'll have people argue that point too. You know, oh no, that's not of it. You know. Uh, that Kareem group, uh, the kids, what do they call BS? Oh, uh, oh, uh, uh BT, BTS. Yeah. I mean, you know, to the younger generation, they're the Beatles. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're just as important, even though, you know, they don't write their songs. They're just a manufactured group, singing group, but you know, whatever. It's different times. You know, it, it's just a different, a different world. But the fact that all those people from our generation and my generation, because I'm older than you guys, um, the, the young that the, this generation still appreciates and loves the music from from then because it's great. There's no if ends or buts about it. And if you're a serious musician, all you have to do is go back and study that music, and you'll learn so much, and you'll see why why it's so important. Yeah, because it's great. There's a reason why all those songs were top ten hits, and you know, sign of the it was the history of our of, of the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, told told through music. Um All right, so let's let's lighten up a little bit. Come on, tell some jokes. <laughs> I know you're dying to tell a joke. Come uh, on. He did I I do want to say he did play uh on a Yoko o- Ono album too. So yes, I mean I, yeah, we're hitting well, everybody. We're hitting everybody, you know, he's right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, unreal. Um well, I, do, do you have somebody? Is there somebody today that you can look back and be like, "Oh, that's kind of like the Jim Gordon of today," or somebody that has that same same feel? Well, first of all, uh, right off the bat, I wouldn't want to compare anybody to Jim. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. Yeah, and scare them. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, that's all I got to do. Billy Amendola <laughs> says so. so somebody so. is the next. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Charles Manson joke. had a couple good songs out. There's yeah. your joke. I'll say yeah. Ken Kranz. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You can't cancel. You can't cancel a guy that doesn't have anything. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it's like I say, it's a different world. You know, mm-hmm. there's no more studio scene like it used to be. Yeah. You know, it just, uh, you know, there's been great studio musicians up until I'd say. Oh, God. Mm. I mean, there's still great musicians, studio musicians, but it's totally different. But like, you know, Kenny Aronoff and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Vinnie Kaliuta. I mean, there's so many guys that, you know, did that scene. Um, some that get credit for it, some that don't, you know, but it's a different world. You know, everybody has a studio, everybody, you know, you can buy drum tracks and. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a different world. So. 
but there are still amazing, you know, Sean Pelton is one of the greatest to me, one of the greatest studio musicians, uh, you know, um, I'm good friends with Earl Young. Now he's not young, but <laughs> Earl finally got his due. You know, I put him on the cover right before I left Modern Drama. Um, thankfully, because he was never he was never even featured. I did a little feature years ago, and he's one of the most recorded drummers of all time, up there with Purdy and uh, and Gatson. You know, and when you when you look at his resume and Ed Green and all these guys that a lot of people don't know. Alan Schwarzenberg. I mean, not to plug my my, my podcast, but no, I will. Oh, plug it. Plug oh, away. yeah, please. Please go back. And, you know, they're all there. I, I interview all these guys because I was, you know, I'm a pop head and I was I did studio work. I was fortunate to be able to do studio work here in New York in the in the 80s. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of these people. I hung out with a lot of these people. I watched them record. I recorded myself. So it's it's a different, different world, a different, different scene, but it was so good. It really, you know, that, that scene being in the studio and playing on something, you didn't know if it, what was going to happen to the song to this day, you'll go in, don't know what's going to happen to the song. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of guys these days that, but just not as many. And I know I, I hate to mention names because then I leave somebody out and I get, yeah, of course, well, like my phone is probably going to buzz. Well, this is not live. If it was live, my phone would be buzzing yeah. already. Yeah. It'll start buzzing later tonight. Yeah. <laughs> when 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 are we airing this? We we should we should have it up. Uh, we should have it up later today. Oh, yeah. You got faster than I am. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, Billy, thank you so much. I I think we I think we said it all. I think- and, and real quick, and and I'm sure you've probably mentioned it already, but if somebody had to go home r- right now or listening at home, definitive or favorite. Jim Gordon track, something you've mentioned yet so far, or something else that they should be like, you should go listen to this right now. There's so many, I, like I said, mine would be grazing in the grass. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would, I'd say jump into the fire. Yeah. You know, from my Billy, Billy knows the work much more better than I do, but um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to choose because there's so many. What about you, Chip? I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's silly. I, I, God only knows, but it's just, I'm going to go back to, again, I listened to uh, Bell Bottom Blues again five times today. And it's just. That is stuff. And and there's tablas. You you know, if you listen on the remastered version, there's the tablas. I I don't, I want, I, I, I would imagine Jim is playing the tablas. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure. Right. I have to go back and listen. Such Um, a great, uh, you know. Well, kudos to Patty, you know. Patty Harrison, uh, <laughs> yeah. Patty Boyd, uh, for uh, being the muse, inspiration boy. Uh, yeah, yeah, incredible ins- inspiration. She probably has some great stories. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, about about Jim, <laughs> I would imagine. Can't imagine. Yeah. Um, Billy, how can people find you? Where can they find your podcast? Uh, the podcast is the Drum Channel. Uh, just uh, float around drumchannel.com. Um, you can join up and subscribe to Drum Channel. You should check it out because Drum Channel has been around uh, about twelve years. They're based out on the east, on the west coast, and I'm now the east coast representative here. So um, they have a lot of cool things happening. Great lessons, and uh, I'm bringing a little bit more entertainment. Um, I do my podcast every week, so you can find me through Drum Channel, or uh, you know, you can hit me up at B. 
drum d-r-u-m-c b-drum c at icloud.com if you want to say hello and just don't drive me crazy <laughs> i'm already there <laughs> right exactly so this yeah i'll drive you crazy <laughs> <laughs> um well, thanks billy this, this has been great yes uh, thank uh, you guys i'm happy that uh that you got to uh you know you, you're honoring jim and uh it needs to be done. It's 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 a tragic story, and um, you know, but but the dude left behind so much great art, and yeah. and you know, he struggled. He struggled with mental health. He 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 kept checking himself in the facilities, but then either leaving or getting dismissed without a proper diagnosis. And, um, you know, if this was something that was happening today, they probably could have just given them some medication that Prozac. That, yeah, that yeah. would have that would have. Yeah, yeah, no. It, it, listen. And you know what? I, I don't want to sound like an old man, you know, even though I am. It's don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, not heavy duty, right. hard drugs where it could alter your mind, because, yeah, if you want to experiment, you take. It, you know, everybody likes to experiment things, but it's not like it used to be back in the day in the 60s and 70s. Everybody was, you know, that was sex, drugs and rock and roll. That, yeah. You know, that was a, a lifestyle. But, you know, don't you're taking a chance. You know, you, you don't want to you don't want to fry your brain, you know, mm-hmm. smoke pot. We all know now that, that that's good for you. If you're going to do anything, you know, you want to feel good. Um, there's a lot of benefits, but hard drugs, hallucinations, uh you don't want to do something that's going to alter your mind because we have enough problems in the world and enough stress going on in the world in general. And, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of people are just not themselves and that, you know, they're finding out now that maybe they had some issues, mental issues, and hopefully they get taken care of, but just, you know, take care of your mind. Like you take care of your body and every other part of yourself, you know, working out in the gym to look good. You want to be able to talk and, you know, be comprehensive and have a life. Yeah, absolutely. Peace and love. Absolutely. Billy, thank you so much. Um, Also, uh, we are, I know we, we plugged this last week, but we are Saturday, April 29th. We're doing our first ever live. I love rock and roll uh, as part of the red bank comedy festival. Uh, five shows over three nights all throughout Red Bank, New Jersey. Killer lineups. Go to redbankcomedyfest.com and get your tickets. Beautiful. Yeah. Chip, you got anything? Just at Chip Chantry uh, on all the socials and at Ken Krantz Comic, right? Yep. Ken Krantz Comic. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Billy, thank you. And we'll see yeah, you Yeah, thank next you again, Bill. We'll see you next oh, week. Thank you guys, it's a pleasure. Yeah.